Lord Jesus, we are so grateful. Today is absolutely beautiful. We thank you for the gift of light, of life. Um, thank you for helping everything to run smoothly for all the persons who are here at the seminars. And we pray that as we begin this afternoon session that your Holy Spirit would move on our hearts in a very special way. Uh, we know that we are at risk for information overload. And we just pray that when we get back to our homes, into our ministries and our churches, you will help us to put into practice what we learned today so that others would learn about you and we can all go home. In your precious and most wonderful name we pray and ask these favors. Amen. So we're going to look at and talk about, I'm inviting you to be a part of the conversation, we're going to talk about some common digital evangelism mistakes and a few solutions um, to these mistakes. Now, some persons, so there are three main ministries um, that focus on digital evangelism is the SDA Big Data Department at the NAD and also Digital Discipleship Ministry in Australia as well as the Center for Online Evangelism. And one thing that we, we hear in common are that persons say, once you have the Holy Spirit, you know, everything will fall into place. We don't need to get into the technical aspects. Well, Jesus promised that he would send his Holy Spirit and the Spirit would guide us. He would teach us, but we have to make ourselves available to learning. And so if anything sounds technical, um, that's all a part of digital evangelism. Because if you are a cook or if you have a restaurant, you can pray as hard as you want. But if you never learn how to cook, then your restaurant probably will not survive. Digital evangelism is the very same way. You can pray about your ministry, but if you are not actively learning, down, um, re subscribing to newsletters, sitting through webinars, opening your mind, then it's not going to grow as well as we would like it. So why online evangelism? We're just going to just do a little bit of a recap. Uh, three billion people, the world's population is about seven billion. Almost half of the world's population has access to the internet. And our message, the gospel, is to go to the ends of the world and only then will Jesus Christ return. So if we truly want to finish the work, online evangelism plays a huge part of that work. 52% of online users access the internet through their mobile devices. Two billion, uh, there are 2 billion social media accounts that are active. That number actually needs to be updated. And the average time that people spend on the internet every day is four hours. So what are some common mistakes that we are making if we recognize that digital evangelism is important? Number one, poor quality um, for our church websites. So we did this little... I don't want to call it case study, where we would Google, we would search Adventist churches. And we found a lot of things that um, could be made better. The first thing, remember we were talking this morning about storytelling. Your story absolutely needs a platform. And when you tell someone about your church, one of the first things that they're going to do is that they are going to Google your church. And your church is like your, your church website is like a front door. So, which door would you most likely walk through? Let me see the hands of those who want to walk through this door. It's inviting. It's just telling you, come on right in. No takers? None at all? It's so funny. The sign on the door actually says, Jesus and tomatoes coming soon. So, yeah, no, we don't want to walk through this door. 
How about one of these? Anybody? Yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. So as we said, your website is like your front door. People will decide whether they want to, if you're anything like me, um, you, go, you Google an organization or a place and you look at their website and you make some sort of judgment on that, about that organization based on their website. If a church does not have time, to, we have visited church websites it's 2018, and they are promoting on their front page an event from three years ago. And I'm thinking, if the church does not have time to at least update its front page, you know, come on. So here are some basic no-nos. Stock photos. Stock photos is when we go online and we download pictures of happy people and we take that and we post it on our church website so someone comes to your church looking for the happy couple and that happy couple is not there in an age where everyone has good quality phones most people you can go throughout your service and you can with permission snap photos off your service so people get an actual a feel of what your church is really like I mean, you have many people at your church, you have enough people at your church where you don't need to go on Google and download a fake family to show that your church is a happy place, okay? Outdated content, update your um, events page and so forth. The third one is long bios and history. When someone is coming to your church website, we come with a mentality of, what is this church going to offer me or how are they going to help me? It could be a negative mindset or not, however you look at it. Most people, most people are not really interested in the primary school that your pastor went to. Most people really don't want to know that. Sure, they may want to know the lead pastor, but there are pages with all of the lead pastor's information and a long history of the church and all of that content. How many of you actually read all of that stuff? No. Do you know that most internet users, when we go to a website that has a lot of content, we skim through it. We don't read everything. We're picking out, our brain is so distracted with everything else, your brain is picking out the most important points. So that's one thing that you want to remember. If your website has an antiquated look, it looks old. Well, maybe old isn't the best way, but it looks really outdated. Uh, when you have platforms or platform is in the word, like WordPress, they present themes. Even if you don't know how to design a website, you can easily download these themes and update your church website and then pour content. Must have a visitor section. So if someone is new to your page totally, they need to know where do I go to first? How do I find this church? What time does the service begin? What am I supposed to wear? Is there parking? Like people have these legitimate questions. We generally don't think about it um, if you grew up in the church because it's something that you know. But imagine someone who for the first time they're coming to church or they're um, coming to an Adventist church. They probably already have a weird idea of who we are and they have no idea what to expect. They're going to go to the website. So you want to make sure that you have a section for visitors. You want to have relevant content or a blog. And when I say relevant content, I don't just mean a blog. It means either a podcast, not just featuring your pastor's sermon, 
But for example, if you have a health ministries department, your health ministries can have a podcast focusing on health. If you have a children's department, maybe your children's ministries leader has a podcast where she records Bible stories for kids, specifically for parents when they're putting their kids to sleep, so they can go to your church website and play a Bible story at night for kids. So you create content that people would use on a regular or daily basis, so they're not just going to the church website to find out about the bulletin. Um... If you have a Pathfinder or a youth club, maybe you do a short series of videos just answering the common questions that teenagers have. And so, yeah, so it's just so many ideas that you can put on your church website to make it as a hub for when people have issues, they can go to your church website and it's not just talking about your church. Clear contact details about a schedule of events and links to social media. Here are some important questions that you want to ask. And when I say church website, I'm not just speaking about churches. This applies if you have a ministry or if it's just your own personal website that you want to start for ministry, this applies to it. Who is my website for? This is one of the most important questions. Because the kind of website that you would create for an Adventist population, for example, is not going to be the same kind of website that you're going to create for people who don't know about Seventh-day Adventists. If you, so those are things that you have to think about. Um, is it primarily for your church members or is it primarily for non-church um, members? And then interviewing, talking with people, talking with your friends and asking them, hey, if you go to a church website, what is it that you, what's the first thing that you are looking for? So uh, that's an important question that you want to answer. Also, what are the goals of your church website? If your goal is just to have a church website, it doesn't make um, much sense. And you were going to lose out on a lot of things that you can be accomplishing. So whether you want people to come to your website to learn more about the faith or to sign up for an online Bible study or to connect with some, you want to make sure that you have some clear set goals so that you know uh, what it is that you are working toward. Who will form the team? One of the main issues that a lot of churches have is that um, a communication director would come, takes over the page, and then next year, someone else gets elected. And this person's like, I know nothing about websites, and they don't touch the website. You, and the other mistake is that we have one person who's in charge of these online platforms. That doesn't work. Sooner or later, because you have your job, because you have your kids, because you have your spouse, because you have a zillion other things on the church website, if it's just you, it's not going to work. Even if you have two other people who will dedicate 30 minutes of their time every week or an hour of their time, that will help you to serve more efficiently or to work more efficiently with your website. And training resources, um, you need to make sure that the persons who are part of your team or even you yourself, that you are growing in knowledge and understanding about building a website. Now, let's say you're thinking to yourself, I have absolutely no time, Felicia, to be managing a church website. Heidi um, Baumgartner from the Washington State Conference, I think, um, she created a one-hour website checklist that you can do every single week to make sure that your website is updated. So the first thing, by Thursday of each week, this will take you two to five minutes, you upload your church bulletin. You enter new events, 
you write or revise or update web copy. So that means if you have a new article, let's say Sister P is in charge of the Women's Ministries Department, and you ask her once a month, I want you to write me an article that focuses on an issue that deals with women. You ask the men's ministry department to write you an article once per month. And you ask, what's the other ministries that we have? Stewardship department to write you a, a how-to list on how to manage finances and honor God with your money as a college student. You can look at all of the departments in your church and ask someone to submit to you an article once per month or even once every two months you will have enough fresh content to put up on your website every week when that happens it's ranking higher on google but if the last time you posted was thanksgiving of 2016 yeah that just doesn't work so enlist the help of um, members of your church look at the professionals that you have in your church um Anyone mind sharing, two or three persons, just mind sharing your profession outside of being here at ASI? At a lifestyle center, so that you're dealing more with like health and yeah. lifestyle yeah. stuff. Awesome. Someone else, your, your profession? Physical therapy. Physical therapy, someone else? Yes. I'm a realtor. A realtor. All of those can be, you can use, let's say these are members of your church. You can bank on their knowledge to form content for your church website. And then you link all of these to the gospel. And what you are doing is that people who have issues with physical therapy or someone who's looking for a realtor or someone who wants advice on their lifestyle and all that stuff, they come to your church website. Oh my goodness, there's an article about, is it that you sell property or something? Yeah, and it links to the gospel in some way. That will keep people coming back. So don't just think along the lines of Daniel chapter 2. I love Daniel chapter 2, and I love Revelation 14. But there is also, uh, how do I say it? I don't want to say a life outside of Daniel chapter 2. But there are issues outside of Daniel chapter 2 that you can use to create content. Does that make sense? Okay, good. <laughs> Uh, so you want to write or revise um, new content, answer any emails that comes to you through your church website, run through the main things like check links, update your welcome message, check your statistics, review the accuracy of current content, share and cross-promote your bulletin um, and other stuff on social media, and have your AV team upload or archive the sermon from uh, last Sabbath. So if you were to, just to spend an hour every single week, this is a simple thing that you can do to upload, to update your church website. So that's mistake number one. The second mistake that we make in online evangelism is that we don't know our audience. That commercial which is uh, an ad for women, for feminine products, it said absolutely nothing about feminine products. But that ad was so successful. Um, when it was released, it became the number two viral video around the world with 90 million views. Um, it earned 1,100 media placements, so like news channels, and so many people were playing it within the first three months. Their Twitter followers always 
tripled in the first three months and their YouTube subscribers grew by 4,339%. They had 177,000 tweets in the first three, three months and their purchase, their um, sales went up 50% among their targets. And in a study conducted in December 2014, almost 70% of women and 60% of men claimed that the video changed their perception of the phrase, like a girl. Now, this campaign was successful, before I get to that, because they targeted the needs of their audience. They looked at what are the issues of our target audience, which is women, young girls, teenage girls, and they tried to figure out, okay, what problem do they have? And they realized that one of the main issues that girls have when they hit puberty is that their self-confidence plummets. And so instead of selling their products, our product is the best, buy it, buy it, buy it, they're like, no, let's look at an issue that they have, let's deal with the issue, and then automatically they would purchase our product because they know their audience. They met the needs of their audience. So for example, if you go to the Always website, you will find blogs um, geared toward women, whether it's pregnant women, um, blogs for teenage girls, blogs for your first um, period, and all of that stuff. It has all of this content and no direct marketing to sell their products. And of course, they have a YouTube channel and a social media presence. And all of this, they're able to do and be successful because they know their audience. So the question is, with your ministry, with your church, with your organization, who is it that you are creating content for? Is it Seventh-day Adventists? Is it non-Adventists? Is it atheists? Is it young people, young girls, young boys, millennials, an older demographic? When you have an idea of who it is, that you are creating content for, you know, which platforms to use, and I'm gonna look at this a little bit later, what platforms to use and how to present the content. Now, knowing your audience, is that even a biblical concept? Jesus was very clear when he came to earth that he came to Israel first. Even when he sent his disciples out, in one case he told them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel to not go into the ways of the Samaritans and so forth. You look at Peter, he knew his audience. So the way that he spoke to them, the way that he dealt with them, it was different compared to Paul who went to the Gentiles. How they met the needs of their audience was always based on whether they understood the people who they were going to deal with. So, for instance, for those of you who are here this morning, I spoke about my parents and their mission work in Haiti, and it's the very same thing. When you go out into the mission field, you can't just go there blind and just thinking we can take it American culture and it will be totally acceptable. Absolutely not. You need to know the people you are going to serve. So, for instance, there was a country that I visited. We were on a mission trip, and... I had my hair in braids, and I did not know that it was an issue, not the extension, just my regular hair in braids, and someone came to me, uh, sister, we know that you're preaching, but the people are going to be offended by your hair, something that I did not know. Again, getting to know your audience so that you may know how to reach them and how not to, to reach them. My mom... It was a rural part of Haiti, and she had on a pair of pants, um, 
because it was, they do a lot of hiking and walking through bushes and so forth. And she went to, she was preaching to this, like this group of people, and someone said to her, you're telling me about the gospel and you're wearing pants. You know, something like that in our culture is not, is not a big deal. But for some people in some audience, for them, that's a complete turn off. The same thing applies to the mission field online. The way that you would reach one group of people is not the way that you're going to reach another. And that's something that you have to be uh, aware of when you're creating content. So these are some questions that you want to answer, um, that you want to ask yourself and you want to answer when you're creating your content. So whether you have a blog or a podcast or a YouTube channel, what is the age demographic um, of the people that I want to reach? What's their gender, their ethnicity, their race, their language? What are their interests? Because when you answer these questions, it helps you to know, how do I present the story of Daniel chapter 2? Because how you would present Daniel chapter 2 to an American audience, to an Amer a young American audience, is going to be completely different for if you are writing for an online audience in France, for instance. Uh, do they have a Christian background? Are they Seventh-day Adventists or not? Their age range, we covered that. What issues are they facing? Do they have Bible knowledge? And what's the cultural background? When you don't know your audience, here are some mistakes that we make. And this one is the most common one. Speaking Adventese. Adventese refers to the language that Seventh-day Adventists use that only Seventh-day Adventists would recognize. So there are certain words within our culture or lingo that we use that we know what we're talking about, but someone else who has absolutely no clue, they hear the word remnant. What does that mean? Um, or even health message or new star. What are some other common Adventist terms or phrases we use? Spirit of prophecy. Spirit of prophecy. Pen. Sorry? Inspired pen. Inspired pen. <laughs> All right. Happy Sabbath, yeah. Or even, for example, there's this radio show that I do on Saturday mornings. It's, it's for primarily Adventists, but someone actually uh, wrote into the, the radio station and they said, you know, Felicia's always saying Happy Sabbath, but there are people who turn into the, tune into the program and they hear the phrase Happy Sabbath and they have absolutely no idea what that means. Or when you pop up and you say, I hope you're having a great Sabbath. It's so weird for us to use the word Saturday. Is it just me? Like when you're talking just regularly, you just say, oh, Sabbath at four o'clock. And someone's like, you know, who's not having a Sabbath? Ah, Saturday. All of that you have to keep in mind when you are um, creating content. Sometimes I do videos and I would be talking and I would say Sabbath and then I remember, oh, not all my audience is Seventh-day Adventist. So the lingo that you would use, you want to be careful of that based on your audience. You begin to create unrelatable content. So you assume that this person has a knowledge of the, of the Bible or they have some background in Adventism and you take that for granted and you just put out an article and the person has no idea what it means because they don't have... Um, any experience in that. You fail to connect with your audience. You have shallow relationships because you don't understand where to meet them or how to meet them. And then, of course, it's a lack of results. And so no one is coming to your website or no one is reading your blog or no one's watching your video. And it's because you're not really reaching them or connecting with them. Jamie Dom from the NAD says, 
It is essential that we not only communicate clearly, but that we also take the time to deeply understand our audience. It doesn't matter if you know what you mean. Put yourself in your audience's shoes and speak to them accordingly. Speak to your audience in a way and with the words that enable them to understand and connect with your message. It's very true. Going back to storytellers, storytellers always know who they are writing for. If it's the author of a children's book compared to an author for a teenage novel, for example, they always keep their audience in mind. The other mistake that we do in digital evangelism is that we go live without preparing. We hit the go live button. Did anyone hear the story about the Pakistani minister? Um, he was giving a press conference and they were doing a live video and someone accidentally pressed the cat filter um, on it. You know, and that might be a funny mistake, but sometimes we make even bigger mistakes than that. Of course, they deleted the, the stream. The live button is one of the most powerful tools that we have to share our story. And what I notice a lot of times on Sabbath, on Saturday, uh, you would see a lot of churches or persons who are streaming their church services. However, only streaming your divine service is not the best. Actually, before I say that, can I see the hands of those of you since last Sabbath who sat down and watched an entire divine service online? Nobody? You did. Also, okay, we have one person. But the vast majority of us did not sit down to watch an entire live stream. Why didn't you? So then why do we think that others are going to sit down and watch it? Mind you, it may be good for those who are not attending church at that day and they're searching for church, that's fine. But why do we make that our main content and think that people are going to just flock to our Facebook page to watch our church live stream? Nobody, at least Felicia Dadas doesn't do that. You know, yeah, I may watch a sermon once, in, um, I may watch or listen to a sermon while I'm doing something, but not an entire um, divine service. And so we have to find more creative ways to put out our church, to put our church out there. Not monitoring conversations. So let's say that your church is live, but then people are writing under the post and no one is there to answer their questions. Um, the other thing, not just monitoring the live stream, but even your social media, there was this church in... Texas, where someone sent in a Facebook message uh, asking for Bible studies. The message was not seen until years later with a new communication director. So you want to make sure that if your church has a Facebook page, that someone is actually there to answer people's questions. This one is a biggie. Folks, when you go live, please do not do this. Do not hold your phone like this. And it's a common thing. It's a common mistake. And if you have made it, you are forgiven. But the next time you want to turn your phone vertically. Um, and there are several reasons for this. First of all, your eyes are vertical. They're not hard. They're, your eyes are horizontal. They're not vertical. The other thing is that for persons who are watching on the computer screen, it doesn't have those um, gray sidebars. So it is easier when you have your phone um, in this orientation rather than vertical. Failing to promote your live event. So if your church is going live, 
You want to treat it as an actual event. So leading two weeks, a month, a week, leading up to the live event, you start putting that out. You start using Facebook ads so that people can get excited about watching it. Disorganized or unplanned streaming, poor video or audio quality. So the video is shaking, the internet connection is slow, you can hear people talking or you're not hearing it properly. You want to make sure. Listen, the gospel is a very beautiful thing. And when we're doing something for the Lord, we have to make sure that it is top notch. It doesn't mean that you're going to spend a million dollars. But when the children of the world are doing something, for their purposes, it is top-notch. Why then do we fail behind and somehow think that low-quality stuff, especially in regards to the gospel, is okay? It's not okay. So we want to make sure that when we're handling the gospel, it's done in a quality way. So here are a few creative things that you can do when you are going live. You can give viewers a behind the scenes. We talked a little bit about this earlier. Give viewers a behind the scenes of what happens before the service begins. Shadow your church pastor, maybe for two hours or for a day to find out what your pastor does. All of this is that you're generating, um, you're creating an opportunity to engage with your audience. And they see that your church is a real church with people and your pastor is a real person. Host a church Q&A. Answer comments from your church's page pray for requests so go live or have your pastor or someone else personal ministries director go live for 30 minutes let's say on a i don't know sunday evening or monday evening and say hey if you have prayer requests we'll take them and we'll pray for you right now um that's something else that you can do answer bible questions interview church members get their stories uh, it's so amazing every single member of your church every single person here has a story has a background has something um, and if we can just put that out there there's bound to be someone watching or listening to your content who's who'll be able to relate um, to that story and then finally you want to make sure that you end your live stream with a call to action so let's say that your church is streaming its service or its sermon all you have to do is get someone to stand in front of the camera and welcome the people who are watching online. Thank you so much for tuning into our Facebook stream. Let us know where is it that you're listening from. Put it in the comments. Let us know where you're um, listening from. And at the end, you make another call to action. Thank you so much for listening to uh, Hillside Sunday Adventist Church today. We're excited to get to know you more. We have an online Bible study and online small groups on Sundays focusing on... Healthy Living and Sister, what's your name? Raven. Raven. And Raven is going to be leading that small group. If you have 30 minutes on a Sunday evening, just send us an email. We'll send you a link and you can just join our online uh, video session. I guarantee you'll have people who turn up. So that's an idea that you can do. Another idea for calls to actions at the end of your live stream ask them to join an online support group, ask them to text to receive Bible studies. Um, create free devotionals. So have someone in your church or your pastor or whoever to create devotionals on like PowerPoint, turn into a PDF, upload that to your church website, and then make it available for download. I mean, that's just the easy, cheap way, inexpensive, free way of doing it. Visit our website, listen to a podcast, watch something, visit. All of these things are actions that you can ask people to take when they watch your stream. Another mistake that we make is that we let others tell our story. So there is the fable of when truth and falsehood 
um, when swimming, uh, it's the idea that falsehood always envied truth. And so one day he took truth swimming, and while truth was having a fun time in the water, falsehood jumped out, put on truth's clothes, and went into town. And when truth realized um, what happened, instead of putting on falsehood's dirty clothes, he decided to go naked. And then someone said, there goes the naked truth. What we're doing, unfortunately, um, as a church, is that we are giving so much place to persons who misunderstand our message to tell our story. And it is doing um, a lot of damage uh, to, to the church and to people. What do people find when they search for us online? And we talked about this, but we're just going to go through it again. If you do a search of Ellen White, um, the first few, at least this was on my, um, when I search, it could be different for a lot of people, but it will especially, Google actually knows if you're like Seventh-day Adventist or Christian or not, so Google tends to give you what it thinks you need to find. Um, these are the websites featuring Ellen White, and most of them are not good content. When it comes to Sabbath, uh, Sabbath Truth was the third one that showed up. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists, the ones in red, are all that have misunderstandings about our beliefs. And of course, we know that most people believe that we're a cult and that we're false and we worship this lady called Ellen White. Why is that? It's because we are not utilizing these platforms to really share um, our information. If churches and ministries began to actively and strategically, so you actually have to have a plan on how we're doing this, to tell our story online, we could help displace false content. And there are a variety of ways, and it gets really technical, and that's why I can't, I don't want to go into all of the details in it. Um, but SEO, which is optimizing your existing websites, creating more quality websites, increasing your social media presence, content creation and distribution, training members and leaders and online reputation management. You put all of those together and it's one way that we could help. It won't completely make the problem disappear because that just doesn't happen, but it will help us to strengthen our, our presence. Okay, another example. Can you go back? Sure, sorry. So this is just a diagram of online evangelism. It's having a strategy creating your content, having that social media presence, performing SEO, search engine optimization, bringing results on all of them works together for online evangelism, which is to bring people to Christ and to strengthen our online presence. The other mistake, we set vague goals. Now, something I hear, um, you ask someone, okay, what, what do you want to accomplish through your ministry? Well, I want to reach everybody. Or, I want people to learn about Jesus. I want to have a successful ministry. Or, we want to reach people online. But the question, and all of those are good things. But the question is, how will you know if you achieve these goals? How will you know if your website is helping people to come to Jesus if you're not setting specific goals? So, you want to make sure that your goals are specific um, so, for example, you want to get five people to, to sign up for online Bible study in three days. So, if your, if your church website wants to get more online Bible studies through the website, when you set that goal, you can know by the end of the week or the end of the month whether it's successful. If it's not, then you know, okay, we need a new strategy. You want it to be measurable, so you want 
five Bible studies in three days, you want it to be attainable. So for example, you just started your Facebook page and you say, I want to get a million likes or I want to get a million views on my videos or I want to get a million baptisms. And mind you, that's all good. But at the same time, you have to ask yourself, do I have the time, the resources and the energy to put the effort to get a million baptisms in a month? You know, you want it to be attainable. You want it to be relevant and you want it to be timely. So here are some questions that you want to answer or ask yourself when you are setting your goals. Why does this ministry matter to me? What do I want to accomplish in the next six months or the next year? What specific prayer requests will I place before God? How many people do I want to reach? How will I know that I accomplished my goals? How many people do I want to refer to a local church? How much time am I able to dedicate to this ministry every week? I encourage you to sit down and to actually write down um, the answers to these questions, and it would help. Some examples of specific goals, to build an online small group of 10 women in the next two months, to increase engagement on our Facebook page by 40% in three months, to gain 100 downloads for our podcast in one month through planning and distribution. So when you have goals like this, it helps you to know whether you are accomplishing it. Um, I would have you do this, but we're running out of time. Uh, Storytellers always have a goal. Another mistake that we make in online evangelism, and this one really touches me, the way that we fight online. It's so amazing that we, and I'm speaking specifically to us as a church, as a faith group, when, actually story time, last year, October, after annual council, was the first time in my faith walk I actually became really, uh, what's the word, disillusioned with the church. And I don't mean in terms of like the church governance, our church leadership. I meant in terms of how we as church members and leaders act toward each other. Um, I don't know if you guys remember with the whole tweets and stuff, it just became a huge debacle after annual council last year. And on Sunday, just the comments and how people were being mean and rude and disrespectful. I just couldn't believe it because the thing is, we put all of this stuff online, the way that we talk either about our pastor or our leader or other church members or about our church, and then other people who are not a part of our church sees our content and the things that we're posting, and then we go to those same people and we're inviting them to our church. So we're actually, we're defeating, our, we're defeating our own work. We're putting a stop to our own work because of the way that we handle disagreements online. Now, absolutely, as a church family, there are moments when we're not going to agree with each other, but there is a Christ-like way of dealing with it. And putting your dirty laundry online for everyone to see is not a good way to do evangelism. I mean, imagine... In your own family, if your husband does something that makes you upset, and it, you may have a very valid reason for being upset, that you take to Facebook and you start degrading the man 
about how he is this and how he is this and this is what he did and all that stuff. I mean, do you think it will strengthen your relationship with him? <laughs> but we somehow think that the same thing is okay. You look in the Bible, David had, in my head, absolutely every reason to destroy Saul if he had the opportunity. But he just cut off the edge of Saul's robe and his conscience pricked him. And he said that I will not lift up my hand against the Lord's anointed. He said, if the Lord wills it in his own time, he will bring him down, but I won't do it. Paul, when he stood before the Sanhedrin and he called the high priest, was it a whitewashed wall or something like that? And someone said, how dare you speak to the high priest like that? And he's like, oh, I didn't know it was the high priest because the Bible says you're not supposed to speak ill of your rulers or whatever, whatever. There is a way when someone does something and you disagree with it to deal with it than for you to speak to them or dishonor them and disrespect them in a way that will harm your ministry, harm this person, because that person still at the end of the day, God died, the Lord Jesus died to save them. Does that make any sense or am I just on my own on this one? Okay. <laughs> so when we fight online, I'm speaking of Facebook and, you know, the comments that we make. We're killing the gospel story. People will be turned away from the faith because we give a bad report. Remember the 10 spies? Venting your frustration for the church online does more harm than good. Again, there are forums for that. Attend your church. Go to your church business meeting. Have a meeting with a pastor. Whatever. Do whatever it is that you need to do, but just deal with it in a proper way. It makes the fighter appear hypocritical. So for, when I, what I mean by that is that if you speak ill of your, let's say you attend Hillside Seventh-day Adventist Church, you speak ill of Hillside Seventh-day Adventist Church on Facebook, and then next Sabbath, you attend Hillside Seventh-day Adventist Church. I mean, you, it, it just doesn't make any sense, okay? And it hinders the work of online missionaries. So they are those who are working to bring people to Christ, to invite them to a church, and then you have someone else who's saying something else. So how should we handle online disagreements? And this is important because this is a part of online evangelism. Your website could be great, you could have an awesome blog, but if you don't know how to deal with people when you disagree with them as a Christian, as a Seventh-day Adventist, your work is almost in vain. Avoid heated debates on topics that cannot be solved under an online post. I mean, just there are certain things, most of the time, research have shown, that when people make a certain statement online, um, especially when it's heated, no one is in the frame of mind to have their minds changed. So you could be going back and forth, back and forth about a subject, and you will do that until you turn purple in the face and the other person will not change their minds. And you will not change your mind. So that's something you want to remember. Be respectful and patient toward others. Remember that you're speaking to a human, not a machine. That means that they have feelings. Engage with the idea, but do not attack the person. A lot of times the person could be wrong, you know, but we turn to attacking the individual rather than actually engaging with what they're, what they're saying. And don't take comments from strangers personally. Control your temper before responding. Instead of in a heat of a moment, you're upset, you're angry, then you tweet something, and we've seen persons who have lost their jobs. It's been a whole thing in the news of people who responded in a way because they were emotional and they got fired. Always stand to be corrected. Do not mislabel, judge, or name 
call people <clears throat> because they disagree with you. Whether it's about a biblical topic, whether it's about politics or whatever, just because the person disagrees with you, it doesn't give you a right to mislabel or judge people and then put them in this whole category and you become holier than thou, okay? all right? Um, consider whether you even have the time to engage in online debates and if you wouldn't say someone something to someone's face, don't post it. If you don't have the courage to go face to face with that individual, don't put it up there. And show grace to your leaders even when you don't agree. Again, there is always a way, there is always a time to address certain things, but the online platform is not always the best way. How do you deal with negative comments, um, especially if you have a church website or a personal page? Try to determine the person's attitude. Um, sometimes people are just uh, very angry, and no matter what you do, they will just always troll. If it's someone like that, you might want to just delete them or ban them from the page. It might seem really harsh. Send them a personal message first. But some people are just really combative, and they're not open to anything. So you want to try to see where that person is at. Um, send, the person a, send the person a personal message. You can also hide comments. So if someone says something, um, whatever, if it's not a comment that you want to appear on the page, you can hide it so the person can see it, you can see it, but no one else can see that comment. Um, sometimes just, you can just leave the comment because people will always disagree at some point, and you can just follow the engagement because sometimes if someone is following your page, if people are following your page, they will actually begin to engage with the person rather than you having to engage with them, but you want to make sure that you monitor um, that conversation. Also, when it comes to digital evangelism, unfortunately, many of us, we don't want to pay for quality work. We have the idea that graphic designers, website developers, videographers, all of them should do their work for free or for next to little. This is a common mistake. I don't know if it happens to you, but I have seen it. We believe that when someone has a talent, or, and yes, we ought to use our gifts and all of this stuff for the church, but at the same time, that person who's using their gifts and talents for the church still have to buy bread and almond milk and all of that stuff. So, or soy milk, whatever it is that you drink. Um, so if we want to put our quality content out there, uh, we have to learn to support each other. There was, I don't remember the name of this rabbi, but they did a study amongst the Jews to find out one of the reasons why their businesses su succeed and why many of them are financially successful. And they found that within the Jewish community, they don't have an issue asking each other for help and then paying each other for their services. So instead of brother A asking brother B to do something, brother A is willing to pay brother B to do what he is good at, and brother B is willing to pay, pay brother A for what he is good at. So they both um, benefit. If we have that same mentality in the church with people who are good with digital things, graphic design, video editing, we support their ministry, and we also are helping ourselves. It takes time. And it takes money to create quality online content. Um, I do video and audio editing. And I remember I used to work for a conference. And literally, 
one of the directors would just walk into the, into the media center, oh, Felicia, we need a video on this, this, this. Can we get it by Friday? Um, you do realize that I need to get the camera, I need to film, then I need to edit, then I need to get video, and you need to do this. Somehow, some people just think that when it comes to digital work, you can just do it in five minutes because the video just took 60 seconds. Uh, when it comes to video editing, they say that you should budget at least one hour of editing for every one minute in video. So it takes time and it takes money to create graphics, to edit, to record, stock photos or videos, storage on your computer, software and hardware, training, digital advertising, SEO, and then of course the person has to live. So do not be afraid. Folks, especially for those of you who are sitting on your church boards, to allocate a budget for digital evangelism in your church. Maybe you're not a part of a church ministry. Well, even if you're a part of a church ministry, here are some ways that you can fund online mission work. Number one, through proper budgeting. So look at your church budget because a lot of times we're spending money where we shouldn't even be, not sp shouldn't be, but we're not, we're not spending properly. So sometimes we just have to reallocate funds. Um, anyone here familiar with Patreon? Yes, a few of you. Patreon is a good way if you personally have a website or a YouTube channel that you start, it's a great way to get people to support um, your ministry. Offer products or services for a donation. So let's say you have an online small group with a live cooking show for vegan whatever. You can tell persons, hey, if you can make a donation of $5, we would really appreciate it or something like that. So there are ways to fund your online mission work. And final mistake that we make when doing digital evangelism is not using digital ads. So I'm going to share an example. Um, so I started a blog in January. Don't go to the website yet because it's not done. Uh, and what, a part of the work that I do is to write an article, write blogs. So I wrote a blog. Where is it? Yeah, I wrote a blog. And then what I did was go on Facebook with, I think it was like $20 or $30. And I put out an ad and I targeted um, a specific group of women. So again, knowing your audience, their interests, Facebook ads allows you to target your audience based on their interests, on demographic and age and all that stuff. And I think I let the ad run for about a week. And within that time, United States, and these were the number of people from countries and the number of visits to the website as a result of the Facebook ad. So 405 clicks from the United States, and then there's Ghana, Kenya, Nigeria, Bahamas, Canada, um, UAE, Sweden, Ethiopia, Brazil, Germany, Trinidad and Tobago. So all of these were um, reaches that this article, ways that this article was traveling just through Facebook ads for $30. I didn't have to get on a plane, pay a ticket, pay hotel and travel and accommodation, all of that stuff. The message was just traveling all around the world with just $30 on Facebook. Let's say your church is having an evangelistic series. And while it is okay that you can go to the printer and print off a series of handouts and you go door to door handing them out, another idea is to use a fraction of the budget that you would pay to get those things printed, to go on Facebook, 
target the people in the area around your church and don't just promote the evangelistic series but other content that can get people used to the idea of your church and attending a series you put um money behind it you create the ad and you can follow it you can track whether people are clicking on your website or watching your video you can put responses are you interested in the series do you want to sign up for bible studies or whatever it is and you put that out through facebook that will actually give you um more results better results um than just going door to door or sticking the flyers in people's door because normally what do we do when there's a flyer in your car what do you do you throw it away and if you do it to other people other people will do it to your flyer and that's the truth mind you when it comes to going door to door absolutely beautiful work amazing work glow tracks great stuff people will be saved through that all i'm saying is that we're not getting rid of traditional ways that we do evangelism but we are utilizing the digital methods bringing them together and it's like a left foot and a right foot and if you have both working you can walk further you can walk faster and serve more efficiently yes question absolutely absolutely thank you so much for bringing that point that actually just reminded me that i forgot to put that quote in here um where ellen white says um in the book evangelism where she says that we are to properly utilize funds to advertise for our series and we are to find new methods to do it so if you're thinking oh it's sinful to use digital ads no it is something um that we need to learn how to do um it's budget friendly um that's where the masses are you're going to find a whole group of people online on social media you can target your exact audience so let's say um if we're having a service here well if we're having service here uh at the convention we can create an ad that would target people within i don't know a 5 mile radius around the convention center so on, mostly those who are around here would see our ad for ASI for instance and if you just want adventists to see it you will see that um yeah you can increase traffic to your website and it's measurable so those are the common mistakes that we make when it comes to digital evangelism but there are always tools there are always ways to not get around it but to work more efficiently and at some point we all have made these mistakes but we learn and we grow from each other and again we have resources on a few of you emailed me already requesting the guides and the slideshow um but if you want those resources and the guides on how to start how to start your ministry a guide on facebook ads and so for everything that i talked about here all you need to do is send an email to info at center for online evangelism and we'll send that to you thank you again everyone for attending and i pray that god blesses you in your ministry this media was produced by audioverse for asi adventist layman's services and industries if you would like to learn more about asi please visit www.asiministries.org Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.